0: This is Amateur Logic, Episode 169, for Friday the 13th, May 2022. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in amateur radio accessories. And by ICOM. Amateur Radio's most popular event, Field Day, is just around the corner. Be a Field Day leader with ICOM. Welcome to another episode of Amateur I'm George.
1: I'm Tommy. Tommy Mill. And I'm
2: Mike.
0: And we're looking forward to tonight's show. You know, some of our favorite episodes occur on Friday the thirteenth, and that's a good thing because I don't know, they seem to come up pretty doggone often. They here do, lately. don't they? Yeah.
2: Welcome to Camp Crystal
0: Lake. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, we, we actually do have a Crystal Lake close by here. So. We do in uh, Fl- Flowwood.
3: Yeah, is is there a camp?
0: No. uh
3: Oh, not anymore.
0: <laughs> we could we could set up one for field day though. <laughs> Invite a bunch of kids.
3: It was nice knowing y'all. <laughs> <laughs> There's
1: a lot of alligators in there.
0: Well, you know, down here in the south, it is now officially – well, it's officially spring, but it feels like summer.
1: That's why I've got on the long sleeve shirt.
0: That's that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's a cold wave came through. We had a storm front a little earlier, and it's like – oh, it's probably 68 degrees outside. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a degree. Are you kidding? No, seriously. we're
2: We're having a heat wave right now. Actually, it's the first time I've turned on the AC this year. Yeah. Um, it's It, it was 30, 30 or 31 degrees Celsius, which is, what, about 80, somewhere between 84 and
0: 80
2: degrees. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, wow, what a difference.
0: Oh, yeah. I think we had a heat index here this this past week of almost 100 degrees.
1: Yeah. I was in Dallas and the real temperature was almost 100. Yeah. It was really hot.
0: You yeah, know, that's that's just what we roll down here in the south, it seems like. Emil, he likes to have a little humidity. Well, we do too now.
3: <laughs> we definitely mix the humidity a little bit more. We got that uh big thick gumbo uh the cauldron down here.
0: <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's about that time of year again, you know. Dayton Hamvention is gonna be next week. Uh, who's going? So there's two of us here. So our Trilogic will be 50% represented this year, which is about typical. It's usually about 50% yeah. of us are there.
2: Yeah, a- Actually, you know why there's five. only two? Because mill's coming and because he's the cost-compliancy officer. We couldn't <laughs> afford all four of us to go.
0: Yeah. That's right.
3: Had, we had to have cutbacks.
0: 50 (laughs) percent it was tough to get two folks there you know my plane ticket was bought was it three years ago now yeah Yeah. it was bought three years ago and the pandemic hit like right before hamvention so i didn't use it and delta allowed me to you know just hold on to the credit and so I used it to book this year's flight just like a few days before the war started over in Ukraine. And somehow I ended up with like $146 remaining credit left after I booked this year's flight. Well, if I'd waited, you know, just a few days, the prices have gone way up. And so this year, the rental car is costing more than the flight, and... It's, boy, the prices are outrageous. Yeah, rental cars are through the roof right now.
2: Mel, maybe you could answer this question. The monster of the swamps down there in Louisiana, Rougarou?
0: R- what? Is that right? <laughs> That's Australian.
2: <laughs> I thought it was Louisiana. I don't think what's, so. What's the monster? You don't know anything about it.
1: Uh-uh. I've never heard of such.
2: Oh, okay. <clears throat> Apparently, he's from Australia. See now I got Australia in my head. <laughs> apparently he's terrorizing the swamplands of uh Louisiana and um apparently the way you ward him off is to um to carry thirteen coins in your pocket because apparently he can't count over twelve. <laughs> this is no joke look at look at you're gonna have to look it up
3: all right, I'm looking
2: it up. <laughs>
0: This sounds like one of those old Canadian wives' tales or something.
2: <laughs> I kid you not. That's I don't know unless uh, unless the reports I was reading about uh, rougarou were were incorrect.
3: <laughs>
0: rougarou.
3: <laughs> Never in my
0: life heard of say. No, I haven't either.
3: Well, if we can figure out how to catch it, we'll eat it. There you go. That's true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, enough of this foolishness. I'm looking forward to dating. I know email is, too. This is going to be your first year. What are you thinking, man? Have you got your plans all laid out yet?
3: You know, uh, I kind of have an idea of uh, what I think it is, but even some of the things I've been reading um, about what they're doing in the, the prizes and in in the size of you know they pretty much sold out all of the uh, vendors' tables. I don't think I have an idea of the scope of it. You know, I'm used to what I'm used to with Huntsville and with uh uh the ham fest down here, so my plan is to soak it all in
0: and hopefully you won't be soaking too much this year. I haven't looked at the forecast yet, but it, it's an outdoor event so.
2: The weather can go
0: either way. Uh,
2: When it goes either way, it really goes either way, too.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, because it's been snowing one year, and Mm -hmm. next year, you know, it's a heat wave.
2: Well, uh, years ago, it used to be a couple weeks earlier in the month, and they moved it further down towards the end of the month because of the snow issues, uh, the snow flurry issues, anyway can't remember what year that was but i can remember going to Dayton and it was earlier in may um, and then they moved it a couple weeks later on in the month
0: hmm. well it's um the pad and pencil you just had there let me just say you need a calculator app on your phone you're going <laughs> to need that because I'm, gonna. I'm
2: sorry i'm going to miss it too because um You know, it would have been epic to see
0: uh,
2: Cheap Old Man open his wallet and see all those moss fly out of it.
1: That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to lose that Cheap Old Man tag before he comes back home. Oh, yeah.
3: You're going to get a new title. I'll never tell. George will. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say somebody's going to have to catch it on tape. Yeah.
0: All right. That can be arranged. Uh Uh-oh. now it. Looking forward to seeing you, and uh, John's going with you, I believe you said. Yep. Anyone else from down there? Nada. All right.
1: I wish I was going, but just not going to work out this year.
0: Yeah. So let's get on with it here. Tommy, what have you been up to since the last episode?
1: I've been uh, playing around with a little D-Star stuff. Uh, found some kind of interesting stuff. I'll be showing that sometime in the near future, maybe next month. Okay. And that's about it. Doing a little travel for work. I went to Dallas, like I mentioned earlier, uh, this past week. Yeah. Not not
3: a whole lot
0: going on. Email. What about down there?
3: You know, you, you might've heard this, you guys, in some of our chats and, uh, emails and online, but I've been exercising my, uh, total cheapness and, uh, actually been repairing some equipment down this way. I, uh, fixed the power supply for a friend, uh, Fixed my uh, dual-band VHF rig that's been uh, laying up for a bit. And uh, I've actually been addressing some of the things on uh, my rack. My rack of despair. Uh and repairing some things. So uh, other than that, the weather's got me back into... I don't know how you guys are doing up there, but the, uh, the grass-cutting thing is starting again. So I think I'm going to have to use some of that uh, cheap idea and come up with a uh, KE5QKR weed-whacking mobile or something because... Uh, we're getting full back in, almost to the full swing of that now every weekend.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, we are too. Maybe you can repurpose a gator or something. You know,
1: <laughs> ride the gator yeah. <laughs> with the with the price of gas cutting grass.
2: Flintstones have a a gator mower. Fred Flintstone had a gator mower, didn't
0: he? Probably. I don't know.
2: With the
1: with the price of gas cutting grass is not a cheap old man event uh, anymore
2: you're not kidding
0: yep well Mike, what have you been up to
2: well i um my segment this month is about grounding and it came more out of a necessity because we had some high winds and i noticed i looked at the backyard one morning and i noticed that my uh off-center fed dipole uh, ballon was about four feet off the ground Ooh. so um I had to do a little bit of antenna work, and then I got thinking. It's like, whoa, I don't have any outdoor uh, surge suppression on this uh, on this antenna, so I better take care of that. So we'll talk a little bit more about that a little later.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting to see that. Yeah. I, I Well, I've already seen it, but I'm waiting for you all to see it. Oh, I
1: yeah. didn't tell what my segment was about, but I don't have one. I'm the slacker yeah. of the month.
0: Yep. And wear the title with honor, because next month you won't be. It'll be my turn. Because uh, I, Mike was ill, so I traded out with him.
1: Well, I, last I took month. the word "slacker" to the fullest extent of it. So.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. What have I been up to? Well, what have you been up to? I've been to the swamp. Uh, there was much...
2: something about a truck getting stuck in the swamp or something like yeah. that, wasn't there?
0: I got mine stuck in the swamp, man, and had to had to get somebody to pull me out. Fortunately, I had just gone into it. it was right on the edge, so the the towing strap I had in the truck was long enough oh, to reach lucky uh and it's a good thing I got stuck there because if I'd gone out any further, it would have been much worse, and you know I probably couldn't have got pulled out with a tractor you just you don't know when the grass is this tall. You can't see, really, what's from, on the ground. From
1: the ground or from the table? From the ground. That's some tall grass.
0: Yeah. Well, it, yeah, It's it came up to about here on me because I ended up having to hike down there. Because my
1: yard's about that high from the table.
0: Yeah. and I didn't get the job done, but I bought some snake gators. I, I had not heard of that term before. You heard of snake gators? Y'all have those? Well... Um,
2: I didn't know if they were specifically for snakes. Aren't they like uh, half, half like a like a hip wader, but they only go up to your thigh or something?
0: Mm. No, these things they wrap around your legs, and they got just a little bitty shell that goes over a little bit of the top of your foot. They come up to about the kneecap, and they're like armor, so a snake can't bite through. Oh,
1: okay. It. Well yes. if they bite the top of your foot?
0: Um. Then you're in trouble. And in my case, if you're wearing rubber boots, that leaves a good bit exposed down there because, you know, the the thing is still parts of it have got three or four inches of water on it. Rougarou? I found
3: it. I found it. He's right. That's the Rougarou statue at the Audubon Zoo. It's
2: oh. even got, the even got his own Wikipedia page. Huh. <laughs>
3: Look
1: at that. I've been to the Audubon Zoo so many times I've never found the cage
0: with him in it
3: <laughs> there you go Mike Mike was right how appropriate for Friday the 13th I'm going to watch out for that Mike
0: this is what I did I actually I shot this um, I don't know two three months ago and just edited this is kind of like the second half of what picks up where I left off last time back in February of this year In episode 166, I introduced you to the ESP32 VGA microcontroller. This is a small microcontroller that has had ports added for VGA, PS2 mouse, and keyboard, as well as an SD card. I used the FabGL library, available from fabgl.org. We loaded in the VIC-20 emulator and played around a little bit in that operating system. However, there are a number of other operating systems that are supported by this little chip, and we're going to play with some of those others today using PC Emulator. Is this little board capable of doing the same things you could do with an original IBM PC? Well, let's find out. When you boot it, you get this menu. And now we're booting MS-DOS 6.22. So what do we have available here? Well, everything that was in MS-DOS. I believe we have uh, an old programming language favorite of mine, QuickBasic. There we are. Let's type in a little program. Although you don't have to use line numbers in QuickBasic, I'm going to use them here. And let's run this. Hello, world. Forever and ever. Till I hit Control C. That works just like it used to. This is all the options that we've got when we set this up for PC emulation. We can run FreeDOS from a floppy. Well, not really a floppy, but a virtual floppy. MS DOS 3.31. CPM. 86, and Turbo Pascal. Linux, although I didn't have much luck with this one. I tried it, but I didn't know the login information, so I, I couldn't go any further. Free DOS, a hard drive version. DOS Programs and Games. DOS Programming Tools. Windows 3.1. GEM 3.1. Geos 2.0. MS-DOS 5 and 6.22. And SFAR DOS. I didn't have a computer back in the CPM days. I know very little about it. It seems to boot really quick. And we go straight to the A drive. Well, the DIR command works. Let's see what MBASIC is. Oh, Microsoft BASIC. Let's try our little program again. And it's essentially just regular old Microsoft BASIC. (laughs) And I don't know how to stop it. Oh, Control-C, okay. My first CPM program. And I wrote it on August 1st, 1983. DOS programs and games. I really wanted to load a copy of Norton Commander on here. Just never could figure out how to do it. There's a few games in there. I'm not a big gamer, so I'm going to get beat really bad here. Oh, Pac Man is in color. Let's see, I use the cursor keys. Let's look at one of the other DOS options we had here. Let's look at GEM. I never ran a computer with the GEM desktop on it, so I'm not really sure how to operate it. Comes up reasonably fast. I don't know how to do anything on here. So I'm just going to say, there it is. If you ran the GEM operating system, you should be at home right here. Microsoft Windows version 3. Now this is emulating a Hercules screen, I believe, for this particular OS, so it's not going to be the best looking video you ever saw from Windows 3, but then again, was there really any? And of course, it's going to be black and white here. It's still Windows 3 running on a microcontroller. We'll double click on Paintbrush, and there is Paintbrush. The image doesn't fit the screen here perfectly. You can see there's part of it stuck over to the left hand side there. Let's just draw a couple of things and see if it actually works. And so it does appear to work. Anything that we would have had in Windows 3 I believe is available here which was not a whole lot back in those days but it does look like it's got Excel on it and Word as well which is something I don't think was in the original version so maybe it was added to this image well that's enough Windows 3 let's see what else we've got back in the day I was a beta tester for geoworks that made geos now they had geos for the commodore 64 which is where i got my first introduction to it later they came out with a version for the pc unfortunately it was a little too late because windows 3 had already gained a foothold and geos was black and white and the apps were quite a bit better than what was available on windows A lot of different programs on here. Let's look at, uh, well, let's look at GeoDraw. We looked a moment ago at Windows Paint. GeoDraw was quite a bit better. It took a more object-oriented approach than Windows Paint did. That means once you drew an object on the screen, you could come back to it later and move it around just by clicking on it. So let's just do an example here. We'll draw a square. And let's put some text out here. Now let's say we need to move that square. Well, we select the highlight tool, and then we can drag it and put it wherever we want. Same thing with the text. We just select it, then we can put the text wherever we want it. This was way before there were many programs that operated like this. And that's a look at GEOS. Really, I hate this didn't take off. Unfortunately, it was just a little too late coming to market. Is the ESP32 VGA32 worth taking a look at? Well, for $22 or less, I don't think you can go wrong. You can have a lot of nostalgic fun playing with these old operating systems on a tiny little piece of hardware.
2: Very
1: cool. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, that uh, stuff.
2: Well, there
1: you go. The uh, gym desktop, I did that. Uh, all, a lot of that stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the light turning off, I accidentally bumped a button just for Arnie. <laughs> I didn't mean
1: so to. I'm sure he's up there in North Mississippi smiling.
0: Yeah.
3: I, I noticed something in that video, George, rang a bell with me. So you said you uh, you wrote that program in 1983,
0: huh? That's what it said at the bottom, copyright 1983.
3: <laughs> that was the start of time for those OSs, huh?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I, I was... remember
3: when uh, Gem Desktop came out, it
2: was, like, land-breaking. I think it even came out a little a little bit before the Mac OS came out with their GUI interface. Um, yeah. But it it was really, really... Quite, quite something. And um, I think it was a company called uh, Digital Research, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, they had also had DR-DOS.
2: That's right. And uh, I think Xerox ended up buying it out and then did nothing with it, and it just disappeared. And, of course, uh, Microsoft Windows came out and became ever so popular.
1: Yeah, I used it. I, I bought my first... Uh, PC-type clone was an Amstrad. came from England. Uh, Anyway, but uh, it came with uh, DOS, uh, Jim Desktop, and uh, CPM. It would boot that as well. It all came when I got it.
0: Yeah. I, I had fun playing with that. I had never seen Jim before. And it was interesting. I wasn't sure how to do anything with it, so... I did get it to load.
1: It was it was very simplistic.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was just a, a fancy. Um, um, what was that? Uh, Midnight Commander. Uh, yeah. It was for organizing files. It just had icons, and I think it had drag and drop. I think it was uh-huh. maybe the first drag and drop application. But uh, anyway, uh, that segment uh kind of reminded me of um an article I read, I think it was last fall, um uh, where somebody made a made a little board, plugged a, a Raspberry Pi a Pico on it, and uh was emulating uh Commodore sixty four on it.
0: Huh. Oh yeah you know, of course the I don't know why there's not an image for Commodore sixty four on there. There was for Vic twenty and then it just jumped on up into, you know, the PC OS is there. But uh, it was fun to play with. Geos, I, I used Geos on a Commodore 64. That's where I got my introduction to it. And it really, it was nice on the 64, man, to be able to have a GUI there and and do what you see is what you get, desktop publishing, all that type of stuff. You're limited, though, because of the size of the Commodore screen. But anyway, I had a lot of fun for you know, around twenty bucks. I got like three, four different DOS machines there. Yeah,
1: it's pretty cool seeing some of that old stuff, the old QBasic stuff. Yep, I didn't use Whizzy it Whizzy. very much, but I used QuickBasic that compiled, but it was yeah. essentially the same thing.
0: So, email. I saw you had the pencil there. What are you thinking?
3: <laughs> I'm thinking WYSIWYG was too expensive.
0: <laughs> but. Really?
3: Yeah, that's an add-on. You know, they had that WYSIWYG add-in for, uh, like, what was it, Harvard Graphics and uh, Lotus One Two Three. Oh, Oh. Yeah, it cost too much.
0: Oh, yeah. I, you know, I never never had the <laughs> Lotus, man.
2: Wow. Oh,
0: yeah. wow, Harvard Graphics. I forgot that's a, about
2: That's a, a term I have not heard in
3: a very long time. Well, when George just said it, I was like, wait a minute. WYSIWYG. He's talking about WYSIWYG. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It was a big deal, man, and, and my printer. I had a printer that, that had, uh, and GLs had this as well, which was groundbreaking at the time. It had true descenders. Do you know what that is?
3: Yep,
2: true lowercase descenders, right? Yep,
0: the the letters could hang below the line like a G, you know, could actually go below the line like a real G does. and and not just kind of be shoved up.
2: <laughs> yep. I think, anyway. I think the, uh, what were those uh, typewriters that IBM made? The Selectric, the ball? Ball, and yep. every time you wanted a different font, you change the ball. I think I think they had uh, true uh, lowercase descenders on those as well. Oh, they. But that was a big deal back then.
0: Yeah, they probably did. Mm-hmm. I noticed they're mentioning DR DOS over in the chat room there, and that is what's now Free I yep. didn't realize that. I, I saw didn't that either
1: message in there. I ran yeah. DR DOS for a long
0: time. I rented rented some too, yeah. 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 Fun times. Tommy, you have a post here you want uh, to it's actually an
1: email. It was kind of a follow up from uh, my segment uh one or two months back. Okay. Yeah. It's from my friend John Davis. He says uh this is this is regarding the ID52 where I was showing how to put your hotspot in manually. And he said, I usually use the ICOM software. I can't see paying for RT systems, but whatever. But uh, this was, I use the ICOM software, too. It works great. But I was trying to show how to use nothing. Um, the sub name. You can show the picture. Yeah, the sub name at the bottom. I, at the time, I wasn't sure what it was. But he says that's generally used for the state. So, for example uh the n a y u m sub name might be michigan or or flint michigan yeah that's a d star repeater uh operated by pi star no less but anyway that that is what that is but uh appreciate the email uh john about
0: that yeah mike i think you had a news item for tonight
2: i did and it's it's uh a little bit of an old news item but it's uh it's kind of ironic that it, it happened on on, on the May the fourth be with you. Hmm. <laughs> but that big solar flare that we had back on May fourth, um it uh it uh basically uh I guess caused a blackout over the Middle East and Africa and you can see why from that picture.
0: Wow. wow.
2: I guess if that happened over in North America there would it would have certainly been in the news a lot more, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's um, yeah,
1: that that's big. Well, they got most of India too.
0: Yeah, well, and it probably just didn't, you know, it probably spread out around that. Mm-hmm. Got uh, got a lot of stuff in that. I I wasn't even aware, Mike. I just yeah me mm, either.
2: We have to do uh something on the remember the term uh, they called it the Carrington event. Mm-hmm. It was back in like the 1800s and there was a big uh, solar storm and I guess it uh created fires and telegraph stations were on fire because of all of the electromagnetic activity in in the air. Um but uh I guess that would have been something similar if it would have hit it hit uh, like a, a larger area that was, uh, you know, uh, had had more infrastructure to it. Um, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure if the satellites would have been in 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 front of that, they probably would have been wiped out.
0: Oh yeah, um, no doubt. I hadn't heard about that Carrington
1: event, huh? I'm gonna make a <clears> note <throat> and look that up. Oh,
0: well, you hadn't. Yeah.
1: I guess
2: it it wasn't, uh, you know, for the time there wasn't a lot of uh, electrical grids, Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure with electrical grids, because um, if there had been, it would have been catastrophic, Mm -hmm.
0: apparently. Yeah. All right, we're going to be back in just a moment. When it's time to get on the air, you want the DC power feeding your transceiver to be clean, quiet, and dependable. MFJ's Mighty Light power supplies are the perfect fit for most any HF, VHF, or UHF radio station. Weighing in at only 3 pounds, MFJ's 4230 series of Mighty Light supplies pack a 30-amp punch with a continuously variable voltage range from 5 to 16 volts. Choose the MFJ 4230MV with front panel 5-way binding post for easy connection to your rig and station accessories. The MFJ4230MVP, same five-way binding post, analog meter, plus two pair of Anderson power pole connectors on the rear. Or the new MFJ4230DMP with dual digital display for simultaneous monitoring of both voltage and current. No matter which 4230 series power supply you choose, you'll get an excellent 75% efficiency. A whisper-quite fan varies its speed as needed to ensure your supply keeps its cool while remaining as quiet as possible. While some competing switching supplies generate objectionable RF hash in your transmitted and received signals, these super-clean MFJ Lide supplies have extra-low ripple and noise less than 100 millivolts. Weighing only 3 pounds, operating from 120 or 240 volts AC... 47 to 63 hertz makes this the perfect power supply to take with you anywhere in the U.S. or abroad. And MFJ switching power supplies are protected by MFJ's famous, no matter what, one-year limited warranty. See all the great MFJ power supplies and ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com today. They're going to be at Hamvention, of course, again this year in building one. Booths numbers 1703 through 6 and 1803 through 6. They're going to have some special items this year, things that they wouldn't normally bring to a ham fest. They're basically, uh, in addition to their other stuff, they're going to have a garage sale, and they're going to have some samples that you had not seen before, some unclaimed repair items that have been laying around, and some refurbs.
1: Well, you don't want to miss that.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm kind of sorry I'm not going to be there, because that would have been interesting. That should light up your ears there,
3: Emil. Emil. Mm-hmm.
0: Ooh. And and you're coming in a truck.
3: so <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Fill That'll her up. Plenty of room. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you had uh, a news item for us tonight, I believe, Emil?
3: Yeah. So this time I went a little bit off the beaten path here of uh, emails, and I went for um ARRL post that they had a news item that they released yesterday and it's about what you guys are saying right there a few things in it that I wasn't aware of Um, this is their 70th anniversary from what I understand so I don't doubt there's gonna be some things happening that maybe might not uh, happen or have happened in the past and I know one of them is a pretty spectacular uh, prize from ICOM and uh, DX Engineering, they're giving away a whole package worth about 20 grand from what I uh, heard. And, you know, I just have complete faith in my utter cheapness that the one ticket I bought for the raffle is going to win it. Yeah. What, what do you think my chances are?
0: I think your chances, I don't know how many people go to the Ham Fest? Thousands. It's, yeah.
3: <laughs> Correct.
2: Yeah. I think in the heyday, wasn't it something like 30000 or something yeah. like that. I could yeah, be way it's, off. it's many
0: thousands. So probably, you know, not quite one in 10000 Emil.
1: Okay. So you're mm-hmm. saying there's a chance. There is one
3: chance, <laughs> one cheap chance.
2: <laughs> well, if
1: okay.
3: you
2: really want to be cheap, you can go on Sunday because there's no omission. You don't need a ticket to get in. But, of course, without a ticket, you're not eligible for the prize draws, right?
3: Yep. Yeah. True. It, well, on Sunday, I think if you, yeah, they don't charge your admission, and therefore the you do have to buy a ticket, but the ticket don't count for the drawing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading that somewhere.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, what's your segment gonna be tonight? I know you've you've been pulling out the slide rule there and doing some yeah. figuring here.
3: This this may be George the cheapest segment ever. Uh, everything in it. Pretty no, mu- <laughs> pretty much is everything in it. Pretty much is free. Uh, and that's of course that's the software. You know me. I'm I'm the relatively cheap old man. And uh, anyway,
2: now I've been. Now he's been being modest. G- he's the <laughs> relatively cheap.
3: Relatively. <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: Relatively sums it up.
2: Uh, no, I don't think so.
3: <laughs> anyway, sorry, Mil, the, go uh, ahead. <laughs> you bad, Mike. You are bad. <laughs> Hello, George, Tommy, Mike, Amateur Logic TV viewers. It's been a while since we talked about APRS.FI out of Finland for uh, APRS object. Interactions. Uh, in fact, I think it was episode fifty-seven from Peter. It's the last time I think I remember hearing uh, about it. I just wanted to spend some time going over this because you might not be aware of some things uh, about the site, much less how it's used or how it can be used. It's something that I've uh, I cover here for our club in our area. First off, here on the screen you're seeing the standard panel and I actually do have a login to the site. The site use is free. The login allows me to transmit out sites or information via the APRS IS services. And so first off, a little bit about the person who I believe runs this site uh, out of Finland. Uh, he signs most of his uh, emails, you'll see a little bit later with hesu. Uh, H-E-S-S-U. Hope that's how you say it. And I'm not even going to attempt this uh, name. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he actually signs, you can see here, his name on the top. Yeah, this is where he keeps track of some of the, the coding he does and in, in projects that he works in, Git, GitHub. And it's not just him. It's a group of people, actually, who maintain, manage, code uh, the site in different uh, capacities. He also maintains the information about the site. It's pretty descriptive here. Very descriptive and detailed about how it's set up, what he does to make sure it keeps running, and where it is to make sure it keeps running, the type of services offered, and what's behind it. So, very uh, public as far as what he's using and how it's set up. Uh, I know some people like that information, and there's even, even visuals here of how you access the data from it and what that means on the back end from a both a processes and server diagram perspective. So he he also maintains a status page, so you can see if something's gone kaflooey or wrong with the system from his view. There is a blog site for this that's telling you uh there's articles that are written about what's happening in fact there's an entire archive of them back to uh 2007 the there's also a conversation or a discussion group where you raise issues and from what i'm seeing here from these recent reports there's definitely a response you know people interacting with the service and finally i know there's uh different views within the site that you can view people making bulletin, uh, bulletins, announcements via APRS that are published here and organized in such a way. Neat things here, but I'll, I'll go ahead and get back to the main site here, and I can go and demonstrate to you how I use the service for my needs, which may not be obvious to some people. Just thinking APRS is just you know tracking positions, people driving around or things. Well. I actually use it a little differently here on a tactical manner to advertise the services that are available, let's say from our club. For instance, this tower you see here, if I click on that tower, I'm going to get information about the two meter repeater in question here, the PL tone, the offset direction, and a little description or blurb about it, and also relative information about power and height, gain, and what its predicted range is. They're all kind of information that's available here, which is really what this particular use is about. Letting hams in your area know what's available. And it's dynamic. You can bring it up, take it down. They'll disappear off the map eventually. If, if a server or, I'm sorry, if a uh, repeater is down, um, it's going to disappear off this map. So when hams driving through or... Want to know what's available around here? You can see it. As long as you have a ham that's maintaining these links. And as you can see here, this is being advertised by me. It is a club. I am a member of this club. I am broadcasting, if you will, or sending information, this information that you see, out via APRS. Whether it's over the air, RF, or in this case, you can see this is coming from TCPIP, which is the Internet Protocol, uh, via APRS-IS, which is nothing more than the APRS internet-connected gateways that are out there as a service. There's a couple of objects here, and you can see they're all being advertised from a station that I run. I'll show you that in a little bit. But again, here is a uh, digi, as we call them, a digi-peter for a packet that's running on two meters at the tower site up there at 630 feet and it's got pretty darn good range. We can reach out way out with this uh, DigiPeter and that tells me that there are services available. This is a Digi, as you can see here, plus a mailbox. So what is that? I'm just go ahead and connect up to... I know that mailbox address is here and I can hit it. I don't need a DigiPeter to hit it. In fact, it is. I can... If I connect up to that mailbox, I uh, have the ability to connect to it, kind of like the old uh, bulletin board days, uh, connecting and getting information in the form of messages posted. And the mess- those messages can be all kind of information. You can see here a lot of people. It looks like one of our hands is posting a lot of information about weather, bulletins, and see what this is about a report. Looks like a report from our local National Weather Service here or over in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is west of us. So that kind of information that's published here, that'll let you know there's services out there. So tactically, you'll you'll find out what's available in your area. And it doesn't just have to be ham radio towers. Of course, you can see here there's a bunch of things. This is an actual EOC or ECC, as we call it, Emergency Communications Center which is our clubhouse. So that's advertising, obviously, the location of our clubhouse. There are items out here that are published by other services completely. For instance, the Windlink gateway that I have available that's on that same packet frequency that used people can use that digi to connect to me. Not just packet, right? There's repeaters elsewhere around. There's also weather stations that are coming from the Internet, the Citizens Weather Observation Program, or CWAP, stations that present their data. You can actually delve into this date here. You know, it doesn't do... Okay, so there's the current temperatures and pressures and winds, rains. You can go back over time with this site and map that data from actual stations in your area over time here. So there's a lot of really cool things and features available. Again, People may not know if you just dig a little bit deeper into them. Um, This is one of my fellow operators here. That's his hotspot operating as QTH. It's advertising its position. If you can zoom out here, there are other digis in the area. You can kind of see the track of where their signal is going if you mouse over the digi, if anybody's sending RF to that. Let's see... Somebody is moving in a car here. Four miles an hour, huh? Must be rush hour. Vehicle that's uh, sending his position via RF. And also there are specialized uh, messages or types, templates of messages like this. Uh, they call it mic E or M-I-C-Dash-E. Uh, and it shows he's in service. So he's he's basically saying as a ham, he's ready to... He's ready for service. He's probably listening to a local repeater over there in the Baton Rouge area. um, uh, There's a lot of people who actually present if they're in a mobile. Some people put the frequency that they're listening to or the repeater that they're listening to. Direction. There you go. I'm giving the direction. So position is just one thing. There's also a bunch of weather stations. Mainly, the whole point of me giving this video today is to... Let's you know that advertising the services so that hams know what's available. That's a tactical use of this. Uh, I can see where that would be very handy in emergency communication systems. Even if the internet's gone, if you have uh, APRS up available up in your uh, tower up high, give you that close local support, people can see what's happening and interact with you. If they know where you are and what you're listening to. That's uh. That's a little bit about APRS.fi. One of the softwares I use to participate in that APRS advertisement of objects, position or relaying or eye gating or RF is APRS IS32. It's a Windows platform application in which you can do exactly what I've been describing or actually become DigiPeter or iGate or whatever. It just depends on how you configure it. The objects, for instance, if I wanted to advertise that our club has mailbox on the air via packet, I could simply click on the map, right click on the map, and it's going to give you the location. And you can simply create an object here. Call in this case is W5SLA 3 the tactical call sign dash three, which is a mailbox, and this is where you put the kind con- uh contents. Packet mailbox. You can give it the details of how you want it to uh this is the height, power height gain calculation here. That particular device I think is doing about that and height above, that one's way up there. And I believe the antenna is also pretty decent when it comes to gain and it is omnidirectional. It'll, Yeah, it'll actually put that rating there. So that's how it translates the information into what the uh, the service is. And here, you can enable these objects either, either to go out via just the internet service or via RF or both, which is what I'll do here. If I put that there, uh, let's see, the symbol. Now you see the information about it my object configure you can go edit it and you actually pick the symbol that you want it to be here see if there's anything along the lines of a mail or bulletin board that might be one we use there you go i like that one if that's what shows up if we go back to here now you can see on the APRS 5 just that fast there's a mailbox packet mailbox and I probably want to give it people know that's a packet protocol except that you can see it transmits pretty much straight away never there's change sure enough so again advertising the services that are available so other hams know it's out there can use it to me that's what that's a very good tactical use of APRS in general even though even though the frequencies are on a different frequency Like 144.390 is where you might go to advertise your car's position via one of these towers or sites. But what this is, is a system that's made to advertise systems, even on other frequencies, just to let people know they're there. So think of APRS as that system that's on a certain frequency. Yes, it's coordinated on 144.390, but you're looking at services that are also in the area. Even if they're on other frequencies. Very good use of APRS and very great, very good site, APRS.FI. It's been up for a long time. The guy keeps it up, keeps it running, and it just works. And it's free. 7-3.
1: Emil, I think you eked all the free cheap stuff out of the APRS.fi.
3: I squeezed it, Tommy. I squeezed every, it. every bit of it. <laughs> okay, that's that's neat.
2: Just just when I thought Emil would run out of cheap stuff to do segments on.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> he proves me wrong every time. He pulls another one out of the hat.
3: He does. It, yeah. And there's lots more tactical scenarios for that. I could talk about that. And, and pack it, and how we use it in this area in our club forever, but I won't, but uh there's plenty out there with that software or that functionality
2: speaking of tactical, do you think that uh, data is going to echelon at all
3: huh. yeah, you know I know he has a window he keeps um of stuff, but I know that's got to be a high rate of data for a global. Uh, inputs come into it, right? I mean, that's got to be a system he's running over there that's doing pretty good.
0: Yeah. Well, to keep along your theming, Mel, you have taught us well. Tonight's cheap wardrobe (laughs) is brought to you by
1: Mr. Mrs. VE3MIC. This is from the MIC Collection.
0: W- yep. Exclusive. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. really nice. Uh, long sleeve. Kind of limited I took-
2: edition.
1: Yeah, limited yeah. edition. But I did get the artwork, so I plan on having the, uh, the design stuff up on the swag shop here sometime. Maybe this weekend I'm going to try to get it up there.
0: Yeah. And my wardrobe is courtesy of Andy Anderson, AA0WX.
2: I thought you were gonna say Don Ho.
0: Nope. <laughs> nope. Tiny Tim. No, Andy. <laughs> so, uh, and and thanks for that, uh, Andy and Mike. Yep. And email. I up
1: my Hawaiian shirt.
0: Approved.
3: Approved. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta join the club here. Hold on a second.
0: All right, I got an email here. An email? Yes, and this one came from David Dawson, N8DKW, and he said, Type in connector or PL259 for two meter legal output FM. Which one of these would you recommend? I'll be running approximately 65 feet of LMR600 to the top of my tower, and then I'll be using LMR400 to loop around for my jumper. I already have end connectors on the 65 foot of LMR 600. My question is, will the end connectors be okay on two meters at legal power? And I wrote him back, and I said I did a little brief research, and I said a good quality end connector should be good to almost 2,000 watts in the two meter band. And a good quality PL259 can can do a lot more than that. Now, notice I said good quality. If you're running legal limit, you probably don't want to use the the, the cheap connectors or the golds. The golds we
1: are yeah. giving away. Yeah.
0: No. The Type-N's got a lower loss, but the difference is not going to be that great at VHF frequencies. Uh, if it's going to be used for UHF, I'd definitely go with Type-N. And also also uh, mentioned that you might not want to use the LMR400. For the jumper at the top there, if this is – um, well, it's I, – I had edited the email here. I believe he's actually using a beam. So uh, you wouldn't want to use that because uh, I believe the center conductor is um, not stranded in or 400 Is it a solid conductor? Am I right in that?
2: Yeah, but you've still got that uh, aluminum foil in addition to the braided shield.
0: Um, well, yeah, but I'm not worried about them breaking. It's the center conductor, I'm thinking. But, yeah, a braided shield's probably not – I mean, uh, a foil shield's probably not good to be flexed. I hear a
2: lot of folks using uh, 214 or, or Superflex for, uh, for, for those short – jumpers yeah. where they have to rotate the antenna.
0: But, yeah. um, I recommend he looked at uh, RG213, or if you want a double-shielded, RG214 is is real good cable. Uh, but at that wattage, I'd get the best connectors I could, and I think I already said that. Um, and when you're getting your connectors, make sure they'll work with the cable type you're buying. The same connector will not work for RG213, that uh, on RG214. You know, I think there's a little size difference, or you want to check uh, between your manufacturers to make sure you got the proper connector for that. Anyway, that's that. Uh, look, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Be a Field Day Leader. Field Day is Ham Radio's most popular event. On June 26th and 27th, more than 40,000 North American hams come together to operate remotely. Connect with nature. Connect with friends. With a powerful and high-quality ICOM radio, easily cut through pileups to get that contesting edge. Our popular IC705 portable, IC7300, and IC7610 SDR transceivers are the clear choice for DXers and contesters across the globe. The IC705 is the perfect transceiver for hams who enjoy both the great indoors and outdoors on field day. Features and functionalities at the tips of your fingers in a portable package covering HF, 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. And it weighs in at just under 2 pounds. 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall. 5 watts with BP272. 10 watts with external 13.8-volt DC, single sideband CW-AM-FM, as well as full D-STAR functions. The IC7300 is a high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This is the radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The real HF fun starts here. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out faint signals in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that has changed the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digi cell. For more information on these and all the great ICOM radios, visit icomamerica.com slash amateur. And thanks, ICOM, for supporting Amateur Logic. Um.
2: What were you saying earlier, Tommy?
1: Hmm? Oh about the radio? <laughs> I said I said if I could get any HF radio, that's probably the one I'd buy that's 7610. That's pretty
0: sweet radio. Man,
2: that's a nice one, yeah.
0: Yeah, it is.
2: Emil's not gonna sleep tonight knowing that the real guru is in his area.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I know it's there, man.
2: I saw this video where it looked like a father and son were showing people how to install ground rods with just water. And I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, that's pretty neat. So, uh, yeah, I thought I'd give it a try myself. A simple way to install ground rods. Before we get started, let's go over a few things. And uh, I just wanted to explain that every uh, residential electrical service is grounded. And usually earthing plates are used instead of grounding rods, uh, but are, uh, are more difficult to install since they require burial uh, rather than simply driving a rod into the ground. But of course, when they're building a home, usually the excavation is done so that uh, putting a plate in is no big deal. One general rule of thumb when it comes to grounding and bonding is bigger is better. Use the largest ground rod and a strap or wire as practical. Be sure to use an approved mechanically secure grounding clamp. Here are some examples of inline coaxial transient suppressors. Uh, You can note on some of them you can actually see the grounding lug and that's where you would attach your ground wire to. Gas discharge tubes are generally used in coaxial surge protectors. They were originally developed for the telecom industry, as you can see from the device on the right. The next two slides are examples of grounding wire, more commonly known as grounding strap. Note that it is better to use flat copper strap rather than round copper wire. Lastly it is very important to weatherproof your connections and one of the things that I like to use when using those transient coaxial suppressors is a weatherproof housing to put them in. Mike V3MIC here. Today I'm going to show you how to install a 10-foot ground rod using just a watering can and water. Okay to install our ground rod we're going to need a watering can and water of course. And you can see I've already prepared the ground rod. It's already installed in the ground. And one thing to note is don't pound it all the way into the ground. I, I chose to leave about a foot uh, so that I'd have no trouble attaching clamps and so forth. And just be aware you can you can always grab a hammer and drive it down a few inches later on if you wish. But the important thing was to get the thing in the ground Uh, with the least amount of effort and uh, you're about to see how that happens. we'll uh, connect everything up and show you how the grounding system is connected to the transient surge suppressors. And for now, 7-3 from VE3MIC.
0: Cool. Okay, Mike.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I see somebody else did that. One of my buddies came by and helped me with one at home. And uh, I was just telling George that he had a Coke bottle of water and, I, and the long ground rod. And he just kept that thing going, kept it moving nonstop and kept it wet and he got all the way down to the bottom and when he let go of it it was like cement it was just it was amazing
0: so email are you driving a ground rod there is that what's I,
3: yeah i found going... this picture of a of a rig <laughs> uh, a riggeroo, a actually that's he's driving that ground wire so i think this all started as a uh he might have started as a ham
0: okay and that's that's like a hex beam there behind him right <laughs> so, right yeah okay well, Mike, good segment. I have tried that and—
2: You mean ne- next to the cobweb antenna?
0: <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get it to do. I mean, I, I, my technique must not must not have been right in Tommy's either.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't see. I think you might have had the time on the side, but there's a thing on the screen. How long did it take you to do that?
2: About 30 minutes to put in a 10-footer. Um, my soil seems to have a lot of, at least the first, I don't know, meter or so or three feet, it seems to be a lot of clay. And what I found was, uh, even with the water, um, it was sticking. Um, so what I did is I pulled the rod all the way out and then I would fill the water, uh, the hole up with water, and then put the rod back in. And actually, it was kind of strange to find that. As the rod got further down, it, it actually went into the ground easier. So I don't know if it was due to the type of soil, or perhaps the soil wasn't as compacted as as the further you went down. But uh, it was pretty easy. Uh, yeah. I'd do it again. And one thing I didn't note in the uh, in the segment was that I I used one nit- nitrile glove just for uh, for grip mm-hmm. because uh, without 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 that uh, your hands are just sliding on that.
1: On that rod. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Glad to see somebody else was successful with that, because I, I didn't have any luck, like I said. But our ground is just clay. Just I mean, it's a lot of clay. It goes way down past the the, the yeah. uh, length of the rod, I'm sure.
0: I think sure. that's going to do it for tonight's show. We had a a fun time here and did, did a few things. Didn't spend a whole lot of money either, if you don't yeah. count the ground rod. I hope we see some of you at Hamvention this year be on the lookout for uh, myself and some some Moss. cheap fellow.
1: He'll be carrying the bag with all the freebie stuff that they give out at some of the tables. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> that's my first. That's going to be my first round, Tommy.
0: <laughs> oh, and I do want to mention, you know, if you enjoy Amateur Logic, click the share button and tell your friends. Yeah, we would appreciate it, and it helps us uh, keep the show going. And if you got a like button, you can hit that. It's usually indicated this way. Don't yeah. hit, don't hit the one that's going like that.
1: If you hit that one, hit it twice. Okay, this one, right, George? Yes, that's the that's one.
0: The one. <laughs> All right, yes. You might want to have some T-shirts on hand <laughs> this year. Okay. You probably won't need to pack the winter coat, doesn't okay. look like. Thanks for watching, everyone. We really appreciate it. And I'll say it again. I do hope we run into you who make it this year at Dayton. And I know I'll be running into him. Yep, 3 3
1: everybody. 7-3. 7-3.
0: We're going to be right back, and Mike is going to pound ground. What? (laughs)